Welcome, thanks for joining us. You're about to hear a message from our Wednesday night Solid Rock Youth Group service. Solid Rock is a ministry of Living Word Family Church, and if you'd like to know more, check us out on our website at www.livingwordfamily.org. All right. Tonight, we are going to talk about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You guys, you guys know, remember reading that? For those of you who read through your Bible, read through the New Testament, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, I will tell you that we are surrounded by influence all over the place, right? People telling you how to live your life in one way, shape, or form or another. You watch the news, people are telling you how you should vote, how you should think, um, how you should think about particular topics and things of that nature, uh, cultural things. Commercials are trying to tell you what you should wear, the car you should drive, the soft drinks you should drink, all that kind of stuff. We're constantly being influenced all over the place, right? And there are certain cultural things that we just take as a given, you know? Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you honk and you yell at them. You know, I mean, it's just a natural reaction, something that's just culturally acceptable. It's okay to do that because that jerk cuts you off, right? So there's things that we do, but Jesus' Sermon on the Mount does something pretty incredible, okay? He comes into a crowd of people including his disciples, his followers, he goes up and he, he sits down and he begins to teach them and he begins to turn their perceptions upside down. The way that they did think about things, Jesus is like, your, your, your thinking is a little bit wrong on this. Let me, show you, let me show you the way, right? So we're being influenced all over the place. Well, the people back in Jesus' day, they were influenced as well. In fact, many times you'll hear Jesus say, You've heard it said such and such, but I'm here to tell you this. So you've heard it said. It's pretty common knowledge. It's pretty acceptable to think this way, to act this way, to live this way. When Jesus says, no, 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 let me show you the real, let me show you the real truth. Let me show you how to really live and how to really, really please God. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles or uh, bring up your Bible app on your phone, Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to go through a handful of truths called the Beatitudes, okay? And these are a handful of truths, like I said, that Jesus kind of flipped some things on his head. And I'm going to read through this passage real quick, but then we're going to drill down into these just a little bit, all right? Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Ooh, got quiet. You guys are ready to listen. One day, as, the, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for righteousness. Some translations also say righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So that's a lot to go over. And we could probably spend an entire message on each one of those, digging down into it. But I want to I wanna kind of hash these out, each one of them, just a little bit for you, okay? The first one, 
the poor in spirit. God blesses those who are poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Does it mean to be like actually poor, like you have nothing to your name? No, not necessarily, okay? There can be rich people who are poor in spirit. There can also be poor people who are poor in spirit, okay? What that means is a humility. It's a thankfulness. It's a deep understanding of what God has done for you, okay? It's not haughty. It's not self-righteous. It's not proud. It's not thinking that you are better than everybody else. That's not being poor in spirit. So what is Jesus saying here? That the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Remember, Job was poor in spirit. Job lost everything. So at one point, he was actually poor, okay? He was poor. He was fighting an illness. He was just, he was at the bottom of the barrel, right? And that's where he learned how to be humble, how to be thankful to God. He never turned his back on God. So through that tragedy, Job learned to be poor in spirit. Now God restored him and everything that he had, and even more so than what he had before. But he had learned a lesson. He had learned that humility and to be poor in spirit and to never turn your back on God. So Job learned a lesson. The next one we hear is, God blesses those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, it's kind of weird to think about that. What do you mean you're blessed when you mourn? What does that mean? I recently, about a year ago, lost my grandmother. Uh, was very close with my grandmother. Spent a whole lot of time uh, at her house when I was, as I was growing up. Um, I always, 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 she would make fudge for me. I, was, I, was, I would like to think I was probably her favorite grandchild. She always made fudge for me, and we were there a lot, so I joke about that. But we were, my family was there quite a bit, so my brother and I did spend a whole lot of time uh, with my grandmother. But she would make the best fudge. Raleigh, have, ever, have I ever made my grandmother's fudge for you? I bet you'd really want me to. So pay good attention, I'll make you some fudge, okay? <laughs> That's not the same thing. It is, well, I like to say that I would make you some, but it would take me a while to get it down. She just had a knack for it, and whenever I make it, it either turns out like hard and crumbly, or um, we call it, we joke around and call it spoon fudge. Like you literally have to eat it with a spoon because it just doesn't set up right. It's so weird. My grandma had such a knack for it. Anyway, but she had this one cabinet. She would always put this dish of fudge in there, this one cabinet. So every time, I don't, even if I knew she probably didn't make fudge, even when she had, was getting a little bit, she was fighting some health stuff, and I knew she didn't, you know, she didn't make fudge, but I would always, just out of habit, go in and check that cabinet. So I would walk in the kitchen, and the cabinet clicked, like it had a little latch in there. So I would open it up, and she would hear that click, and she's like, I didn't make any fudge. I said, I know, Grandma, but I'm just checking. You know, but so when, so when I lost my grandmother, uh, it, it hurt. I don't know if you've lost a loved one or not, somebody that you're close with, but you, it's, it's almost like you're not really even sure how to feel, how to react, how to, how to process it. Does that make sense? Mourning and sadness is about the best description for it. It's like this, I'm just, I just don't know, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just thinking, okay, the holidays that I won't have my grandmother, the times that I used to go over to her house, I won't have that anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's gone. The only time I will ever have that is in my memories. And so why does Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted? Let me tell you why he says that. Number one, because Christ mourned over us. 
over a lost people, people who are lost without a shepherd. When we go through a time of mourning, when we go through loss, you realize that, that we, we begin to understand God's heart for us, that mourning and loss for those who are lost, for people who are lost. And when we mourn like that, we, we, can, we can further understand the character and the heart of God. And so we, because of that, are blessed. God says, I will comfort you. I will, I will bring you through this. And because you've been through this, you will have a greater understanding of what it means to lose someone and to, to mourn. But I will comfort you. As a believer, God has never promised us, never promised us that every day would be perfect, that every day would be great. We're all going to go through struggles. We're all going to go through loss, loss of a loved one, loss of a friend, whatever the case is. We're all going to, just, just because we have a relationship with God and we can stand on his promises, stand on his word, he never promised us that we would have no trouble, did he? In fact, he actually promised quite the opposite. Jesus says, you will have trials, you will have tribulations, but, but I am with you. I have overcome the world. The next one is the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now I want to give you something very, very important, okay? What do you think of when you think of meekness? Somebody being meek, what do you think of? What do you think of, Justin? Really? Okay. Hunter? Shy? All right, that's kind of what I think of, too. When I think of meekness, I think of shyness, maybe being timid, being weak. That's what, when I think of meekness, that's kind of what I think of, of, of in my mind, just kind of like this little kind of scared, mousy kind of a person, right? Right? Is that what you think of, Riley? Yeah. What? What are you looking at? Oh, gotcha. Okay. But meekness... It is, it is a humility of spirit. It is, an, it is an obedient heart towards God. It's not proud. It's not boastful. It's not lifted up. The meek are pe- people who quietly do what they know they need to do. Does that make sense? We're not talking about somebody that's loud and bombastic. and We're talking about somebody who's just like a faithful, quiet, hardworking type of person. Okay, Meekness does not equal weakness. I want you to understand that. So for this beatitude, when it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall, in, uh, they shall inherit the earth, that does not mean weak. Now God does say, where you are weak, I am strong. So God will strengthen us in our weakness. Okay, that's a separate promise. The, meekness shall, the meek shall inherit the earth. These are people who are humble, who are, who are um, uh, obedient to the will of God. These are the people that are just kind of like the people that don't seek out attention, okay? But meekness does not equal weakness, okay? It doesn't say that the weak shall inherit the earth because we are not weak. We are strong in Christ Jesus. The meek and humble settle conflict. They reduce stress. They work for the greater purpose of the kingdom of God, and they work to serve those around them and to be a blessing of people around them in their sphere of influence, okay? So again... Meekness does not equal weakness. Thank you. (laughs) All right, the fourth one. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Or in this translation, in the New Living Translation, it says justice. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you will be filled. 
What is something that you hunger for? Food? All right, specifically. Hunter, give me an idea. What's something you specifically hunger for? What's your favorite food? Ice cream. All right, that's pretty good. My favorite's pizza. Eden, what's your favorite food? Mac and cheese? What kind of mac and cheese? Oh, dang. Like homemade mac and cheese with bacon? All right, up top. If anybody is thinking blue box, I don't even, I don't even want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> no, stop it. Stop it. I don't, I don't want to ruin my opinion of you, so don't even tell me that. Blue Box is not real macaroni. It's just not even macaroni and cheese. It's literally like grain dust that they sweep off the floor into a box, and they've, they've like fooled children into buying this, thinking it's, it's, it's just absolutely, I have never, ever. It's not like I liked it when I was a kid and grew out of it. I have never liked that stuff. I'm always a Velveeta shells and cheese kind of guy. If I've got to have some, if I've got to have boxed macaroni, I'm going for the Velveeta shells and cream. Thank you very much. God has spoken. I'm just joking. But, but what is something that you hunger for? I am a, you can ask my wife, I am a pizza guy. It almost does not matter what kind of pizza. I am all over it. I love, love, love me some pizza. I could eat pizza every single day of the week and it wouldn't even bother me. And I love it. So sometimes I just have this hunger for pizza, right? But when you hunger for something, when you hunger for food, Hunter, I'm going to use you and he's going to go, what was, what was it that you said you liked ice cream, right? So when you have just like a craving and a hunger for ice cream and you go somewhere, where's your favorite place to go? Baskin Robbins. Okay, so you go to Baskin Robbins, you get yourself some ice cream and you sit down and you enjoy it. Oh my gosh, that hit the spot. That's amazing. Is that the last time you ever need ice cream? No, you, you're going you're gonna to have a craving for it again, right? Because you just hunger for it. and you, Yeah, exactly. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that those who hunger and thirst for justice, for righteousness, for the righteousness of God, will be filled. But not just one time. As we hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, as we hunger and thirst for a deeper relationship with Him, with the righteousness of God, we will be filled. We will be satisfied but it's a continuing thing. Like, we can always be hungering for the righteousness of God. Do you know what I mean by that? Hungering for God's righteousness. Only God can fill your soul. He fills the hungry as the bread of life, and he satisfies the thirsty as living water. You guys remember Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well, right? I'm not going to take you there. Uh, I'm just going to mention it. If you don't know about it, look it up. The woman at the well went to the well. She traveled there every day to get a, you know, every, people from the village did. That's how they, that's how they, that's how it rolled back then. They would fill up their bucket, take it back to the village, and it was a chore. I mean, we just turn on the faucet and get water. Awesome. We are so spoiled. How can you imagine traveling miles and carrying buckets of water just to have a little bit of water each day? So this is how they live. So when Jesus comes here and says, I have water so that you will never be thirsty again. When we, have a, when we have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ, when we hunger and thirst for God, for more of Him, He will satisfy that hunger and that thirst. The next one is, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Think of a time in your life when someone showed you mercy. I remember when I was a kid, we were at Walmart, we were grocery shopping, and I was horsing around, probably. I just, probably, I'm sure I wasn't being an angel. But I knocked a jar... I can't remember what it was, jelly or something like that. I knocked a jar of something off the shelf, and it just shattered. Big old nasty mess all over the floor. Oh, my gosh. I was embarrassed. I felt terrible. 
And, you know, obviously my mom was a little bit upset. So what, what's that? I don't remember. I was, I was probably six, seven, six, seven, eight. Yeah, 19. Mom. So, uh, so one of the store uh, associates, workers, manager, whoever, came over. And what could they have done? I mean, they would have every right to. What could they have done? Said, you know, we need you to, yeah, made us pay for it, right? As, and that would have been right to do. I knocked it off. I broke it. It's totally my responsibility to pay for that item, right? But they didn't do that. They said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. We'll clean it up. You know, don't you even worry about it. They were, they were showing mercy, right? I didn't deserve to have, I, I deserve to have to pay for that, right? They were showing me, in that moment, they were showing me mercy, okay? Uh, also, I remember Ashton and I were at a Hallmark store or a Yankee Candle store or something like that and had a glass candle and I was, you know, all smelling or whatever. And so I went to put the lid back on and sometimes I just don't even know my own strength. Went to put that lid back on. Do you remember this, babe? You don't remember this? I was so embarrassed. And I did. I shattered that whole jar and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and of course, I put it back on the shelf. No. I talked. <laughs> I went and got, you know, I called somebody over and said, I am so, so sorry. You know, we'll totally pay for it, whatever. I just want to make sure you knew about it and everything. They're like, don't even worry about it. We'll take care of it. So look at this. All the times I'm breaking stuff in stores, man, and people are just showing me mercy. Um, people are just, so have you ever been shown mercy? Has there ever been a time when you should have paid up or should have owed something or should have been punished for something or whatever, and someone showed you mercy? What is Jesus saying here? As you show mercy, mercy will be shown to you. You guys remember the, the, the law of sowing and reaping? We've talked about that in here before. You reap what you sow. That's kind of what this is saying right here. When you plant mercy, when you sow mercy, when you show someone mercy, you can expect to receive mercy in return. Does that make sense? Yeah? You reap what you sow. That's what Jesus is saying here. <clears throat> The next one, pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Heart purity is a model of those who are inwardly pure, and this is reflected externally. So when you're pure of heart, that purity and that um, uh, uh, goodness of God comes out. When you're pure of heart, you can't help but act out that purity, if that makes sense, okay? As we are pure in heart, God will make sure that that is shown. God will make sure that people see that as well, all right? Peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers. They are the children of God. Okay, how many of you have ever in here have ever been involved in drama? I better see every hand go up because I, I know for a fact every single one of you have been involved in drama of some sort. All right, thank you for your honesty. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of drama being the peacemaker? Yeah? Okay. We're surrounded in our world by drama. It's just absolutely crazy. Okay? Uh, I know there have been times at Summer Stream. Summer Stream's coming up. You know, there's been some times you're, you're, you're hanging out with people for a whole week. Other churches, you know, maybe there's some personalities that don't uh, combine very well. And maybe people get a little bit upset with each other for whatever reason. Miscommunication is typically the primary issue. Um, so there's been some times when I've had to take two people who are arguing, bickering, whatever, just like throwing shade at each other. What's that? Kyle and Trevor. Well, that's a good example, but let's, let's, use, let's, let's use fictional kids that are not in our youth group. <laughs> um, so there was, a, there was a young lady 
uh, who, was, who was causing some trouble, bickering back and forth uh, with another young lady, and I happened to kind of find out about it, or maybe I walked by while they were talking nasty to each other, whatever, and I could have said, hey, break it up, go your own way, don't talk to each other the rest of the week. That might have been an okay solution, right? But that really wouldn't have been, I'm not making peace, right? I'm just saying avoid each other. You know, there's no peace there in avoidance, all right? So what, what I said instead, what I did instead was, what I said instead was, hey guys, what's going on? Try to get to the root of the issue. I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist, but just trying to figure out what's going on. Okay, what's, why are you guys pushing each other's buttons? What's happening here? So I got a little bit from one side, a little bit from the other side. And I told them, why don't you get to know each other a little bit better? Because how often is it, now listen, how often is it where you like, oh, I do not like so-and-so at all. And then through whatever circumstances, maybe you find yourself working on a school project with them or something, and you end up getting to know that person, and you're just like, okay, I actually kind of like this person, right? Real quick example, and then we're going to break down into small groups. Real quick example, my freshman year in high school, hey guys, hey guys, listen up, come on. My freshman year in high school, there was a kid who really liked one of my good friends, okay? She's, she had been a good friend of mine for a long time, and this guy really liked her. And I'm like, I didn't know this guy. I'm like, dude, you know, step off, you know. This, you know, this is, this is my friend, and I don't think you're good for her, whatever else. And so I didn't really care for this guy at all, and I didn't think he was a good guy. I, just, I, didn't, I didn't even know him. I didn't even know him. It was total surface judgment right there, okay? And through whatever, I don't know if we had the same study hall. I don't even remember what happened, but we ended up getting to know each other and uh, became best friends. And to this day, still one of, one of my best friends and one of the only people I stayed connected with from high school. Huh? Aaron. I, I mention Aaron so often, every so often in a message or whatever. My best friend from high school. Didn't even like him at first, freshman year, okay? And yet we got to know each other and hung out all the time. All the time. So bless, what, what? Was, oh, I think they dated for like two and a half seconds and then whatever. But anyway, but anyway, uh, because like I knew it right away, he wasn't right for it, but whatever. So anyway, but we got to be super good friends. We got to be really close friends, okay? So there can be drama. There can be stuff going on. But what does Jesus say? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. Why does, it, why does he say they are the children of God? Why doesn't he just say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the kingdom, like he said with some of these others. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. Children do what they see their father do. Children do what they see their parents do. God is a peacemaker. Because at one time, we were at war with God in our sin, lost in our sin. At enmity, the Bible says, with God. We were enemies of God. And yet, through Jesus Christ, God made peace with God man. Fallen man. God said, I could just say, do away with you, be gone, I'm not, I don't want to talk to you anymore, I don't want to see you, wipe you out off the face of the earth. No, what does God do? God says, I'm going to send my son because there's a price that needs to be paid, and I'm going to make peace with you. That enmity is going to be gone, and I want to have a relationship with you. That's who God is. God is the peacemaker. So that's why Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God, because kids do what they see their parents do. And with that, we're going to break down into small groups. So go ahead and dig in a little bit deeper to Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 5, and we will meet back in here for worship in about 15 minutes.